Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a very special episode of Hoop Dreams, the basketball podcast on the 8-Bit Collective, powered by our pals at Audio-Technica. It is special because we are talking The Last Dance. Episodes 1 and 2 came out earlier this week, and we are here to have a good old chat. My name is Matt Tilby, and... Uh, we'll, we'll keep it pretty respectful this time because it's a pretty important occasion. No uh, comparisons this time. It's uh, just my co-host, John O'Peck, and uh, all the way from the US, a friend of the 8-Bit Collective, Mr. Logan Wilkinson. Boys, how we doing? Woo. I'm doing great. Here. I just want to give a shout-out to Matt's announcer voice here. That is that is a voice <laughs> made for radio there. Oh, my gosh. I, I get... I get I get told that a lot, so it's always nice to hear it from, uh, I guess, more experienced podcasters than me, so uh, thank you for that. (laughs) Um, But yes, The Last Dance came out earlier this week, uh, both on Netflix in Australia, and I believe ESPN in the US Mm -hmm. was uh, broadcasting episodes as well, so... And they got some pretty big numbers, around sort of 6 million for uh, each episode. I'm not surprised. That's awesome. Yeah. and of course, both of you are pretty diehard Chicago Bulls tragics. You've um, mm-hmm. you've grown up with this team. So, John, I'll start with you. I, I sort of mentioned it to you earlier this week. This was basically your Christmas, wasn't it? I guess oh, yeah. just spread over five weeks. This was like my Christmas and my birthday all wrapped in one. Like the days leading up to this, I was consuming every article on the Ringer that I could find. Like that, they were basically posting like all their bulls coverage for the last like five years you know deep dives into the the serious alan parsons as the intro music like a whole article oral history of that then you've got all these pieces about dennis and scotty and and jordan and like it was the perfect primer for this documentary dropping right now which is probably the most staffed we've ever been for sports i think Mm -hmm. it's so good and you know I, i tweeted out some photos of my jordan books and my old magazines like i was like the the phenomenon of of the bulls that you see in this documentary is the reason that i care about basketball like it was big enough to catch my attention over here in another country where it wasn't on tv until it was like 4 a.m and you had to record it on the vhs and watch nba action on saturday mornings it was big enough to lure me into and and get me addicted to this sport of basketball so that kind of i think is a testament to how huge jordan and the bulls were and to see it like to relive it right now is both incredibly nostalgic and just fascinating with the extra detail we're getting Mm. logan i want to ask you obviously this had been a long time in the making obviously 22 years Mm -hmm. since this season that they're chronicling um, but we, we got word of this documentary uh, coming out. It would have been about a year, a year and a half ago. They were, they were certainly sort of testing the waters and there was word that LeBron um, winning his championship in 2016 was sort of the catalyst for MJ to sign off on The Last Dance because um, there was word that he felt his legacy was at risk. Um, but of course, Jono sort of touched on it there being... It's been released at a time when we're such, you know, we're deprived of such sport content in a way. There hasn't been a, a more perfect time to release a documentary, has there? Yeah, I think 
for me it is we're in this unique moment right where the world almost collectively is the most starved it's been for sports since the war probably right in 75 mm-hmm. years since then and <laughs> i think we're we're at this moment in time where I think we all want to collectively kind of remember something that was such a cultural and kind of global phenomenon, the likes of which has rarely been seen, right? Like, there's a great moment in the documentary where Mike Wilbon talks about the fact that, like, the list of people who you can compare to Jordan is Babe Ruth and Muhammad Ali, and that's it, Mm. right? Like, that's the list, Um, certainly in America. Like, maybe Mm. globally you can add Pele, and then that's the list, right? Like, it is... Donald Bradman. Sure, right, yeah, yeah. if you want to yeah, really get a little bit cheeky with it. Uh, and so that's kind of the full extent. Like, it is yeah. just something that captured the globe in a way that nothing, certainly in my lifetime, has, right? And we, I think it's interesting being on the pod with, like, two Aussies, obviously, from, like, across the world, like, the influence of Jordan and the Bulls and everything about it. But, like, as somebody who grew up in, like, the heartland of America, right, who was, like, a five or six hour drive from Chicago, like this was everywhere. Like it was, everybody was a Bulls fan all across the country. Like he didn't have a choice. Everybody wanted to be like Mike. Right. And so Mm. I, I think it is that thing of like, it's been a documentary that I've been waiting for, for 22 years without knowing it. Um, And it is such an awesome, (laughs) I think such an awesome gift in this moment in particular. Yeah. Mm. Matt, I want to ask you, sorry to interrupt. Like, as a Suns fan, as someone who's significantly younger than me in terms of when you started watching basketball, what was it like for you to see this footage and kind of get a, a bit of an education on the Bulls and Jordan and, and, and this team? Yeah, I mean, you hit hit the nail on the head there calling it an education. I think that's probably the best way to describe it, being this sort of eye-opening experience, not only being sort of access all areas and stuff that, you know, most people on the face of the earth were never privy to, but obviously being a little bit younger and sort of having watched, well, started watching around sort of the the mid-2000s when Mm. guys like Steve Nash and Kobe were coming through. And um, it's a completely different era for, for NBA and basketball in general. So getting to see this sort of, different era of basketball in a new light sort of gives me more of an appreciation for not only Jordan but the Bulls Mm. and the sport of basketball at that time in general so what they've been able to do even just these you know first two episodes um, I thought was was fantastic Mm. and sort of splicing that between um, you know 97 Jordan and you know current day Jordan as he's sitting in his house having these interviews you know big cigar in hand, glass of whiskey and whatnot. Like he's clearly just, you know, he's, he's, he needs something to do. So he's just like, okay, well let's, let's record and, and, you know, have this documentary. So, but I think it's great. I think that's, it's a, a, a real eye opener for me. And it, it just makes me love the game of basketball even more. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, let's jump straight in then, because uh, I've got some notes that I was uh, writing down very illegibly during the uh, the first two episodes and if, obviously if you guys have anything else you can always jump in um, and, and let me know but we jump straight into the start of the 97-98 season and we're very I guess um, luckily given 
a bit of a, a rehashing of the last sort of five um, final series mm. for the Bulls as we sort of see them just wiping out all comers, Sonics, the Phoenix Suns, um, <laughs> and the most recent one, of course, being the Utah Jazz. And we sort of start at the the start of the 97-98 season, but it's, it's not so much J- Jordan straight up. We get introduced to... You could argue the villain, Jono, of this entire piece being uh, GM Jerry Krause. He he is a piece of work, isn't Mm. he? Oh, man. He's the perfect villain because he's amazing at his job. Like, up until the point of blowing up, wanting to blow up the team inexplicably, he put together arguably the greatest roster of Of superstars and, and whatever ever. And to... To see the chip on his shoulder and to, you know, kind of understand like this is a guy who's been instrumental in these, this championship run and he wants... I saw an amazing quote and I can't remember who it was from, but it was he he deserved more credit but not as much as what he wanted. Like, he mm. didn't deserve as much credit as what he wanted. Yeah. So that kind of like dichotomy is... It, it sums him up really well and... Just the fact that he wanted to break this team up after the yeah. the '97 championship is just like it's unthinkable. Like yeah. imagine if you know uh, the Warriors GM tried to break them up after the the 2017 championship because there's a chance that you know KD might leave or something. It would just be like you have a chance to win a championship. People roll the dice and give up everything for that, and you're just gonna what reset the table and look how that worked out for them like they've they spent like the next uh 10 years well it was 10 it was 10 years before Derek rose and then you know there was a good few years but then yeah if you take away that kind of five-year run with noah and tibbs and and rose it's been been, a desolate barren wasteland (laughs) yeah and um you know it's not something it just goes to show and i think it's the consensus and the uh, the best practice in the nba now is if you have a chance you you go for it like mm-hmm. look at the raptors yeah exactly um i mean he's he's sort of painted in an interesting light by um jerry reinsdorf who sort of said i'm not mm. hiring him um to win a popularity contest i'm hiring <laughs> him to get results and very clearly he did but one of the, the the more interesting quotes that I found at the, the start of the, the documentary was Jordan literally post-game after he's won the 96-97 championship. That's what I was going to talk about too, yeah. Where he was asked about, um, you know, the, the, the claims that they were going to immediately blow up the team. And he sort of said, um, respect the people who got you to this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and sort of just saying, look, give us a chance to defend it yeah. until we lose it. Yep. Um, and it's so interesting, Logan, because we're, we're given the crux of this entire sort of like overarching story almost immediately. Mm-hmm. Like no, no documentary has that I've seen in a while, at least has immediately just gone. This is what's happening. Yeah. This is the clear villain. Mm-hmm. There are your <laughs> sort of protagonists in this, you know, superhero story, but it's it's so interesting that he wanted to do it, you know, at that time. And even Jordan even said, like, I was I was mad about it. I you know we were winning. Like, what do you think was going through his head? It's it's so interesting because I haven't read a lot that I could get my hands on too in the lead up to this launch 
there was a really good New York Times review about this um, documentary, and in that they talked about the fact that Jordan, like again and again and again, made it so clear that if Phil Jackson wasn't the coach, he would leave. And it was just—it just seemed to be like the most bizarre game of chicken possible between him and Jerry Krause of like, well, like, are you actually going to do it or not, kind of thing. And like, mm. to me, after two episodes, the big thing, like, one of the big questions I have is like, why did Jerry Reinsdorf side with Jerry Krause over MJ? Like, why did he make that decision? Because ultimately, he could have said like, no, we'll get rid of Jerry Krause, we'll keep MJ. He's the most important piece in the board here. If he wants Phil Jackson, we'll keep Phil Jackson. We'll give him whatever he wants kind of thing. And he obviously didn't. He obviously sided with Jerry Krause over Michael Jordan. And, like, I'm curious to see, like, if we get kind of the reasons of that decision ultimately fleshed out because it's just baffling. Like, it is that thing <laughs> that Jono said, which is, like, it's absolutely baffling. You'd get to this point where you've won five titles in seven years um, you are just the dominant force on global sports right now. You are a cultural phenomenon like nothing else. And you go, mm. I think now's the time for a rebuild. I think now's the time to bring in the coach from Iowa State. Take over for Phil Jackson. I like this decision. <laughs> like, let's go to Scottie Pippen. Let's just trade him. He's no good. Like, uh, just such a series of questionable decisions that at no point ever really seemed to be like checked or been like, hey, but what if we didn't do this instead? And it's like, I think. By especially because like that second dynasty, like the second three peat is an even better Bulls team than the first three peat was. And just to be like, this team is just not good enough to do it again is like such a laughable like yeah. statement. Like all of the evidence. Like they won seventy two games in ninety five ninety six. <laughs> they won like seventy eight the next year. Like it's like they were such a dominant team they go like I can just see the weakness here. I am Jerry Crow and it is that thing of like it just feels like Icarus trying to fly too close to the sun and be like, I can do, I can make it better. I can tweak it. Right. And like, I don't know. Ultimately, I think this documentary might be a little bit of like the tragedy of Jerry Krause of like him just being mm. a bit too kind of overconfident in his own abilities, a bit too full of hubris, a bit too kind of unwilling to not find more of the limelight for himself and it also, mm. also in the way that, like, the Bulls players were just so alienated from him from the beginning, right? Like, Jordan <laughs> had issues with him from, like, 1986, right? And Pippen from, like, the early 90s, right? And, like, yeah. I think this long-running feud probably never could have ended a way better than this, but it's just mm. fascinating to see how it does end. Yeah, a, yeah few, exactly. a few things. Yeah, that's really good, Logan. And I think a few things there, like, to start with, I think we should probably say like Jerry Krause isn't around to defend himself. So yeah, I feel 100%. like he's, yeah, that's, got, that's why got, I'm a little bit, uh, he's like. going to get slammed. And the only person that might stick up for him is Jerry Reinsdorf. Jerry Reinsdorf yeah. But I think the reason that Reinsdorf sided with him is because looking at a big picture, Jordan and Pippen and Jackson, even if things were peachy, were only going to be there for maybe another couple of years before retirement was looking like an option anyway. So maybe for Reinsdorf, it was like Jerry Krause is the key to keeping this franchise successful beyond Jordan. Maybe he saw that time was running out for that window with the team. It doesn't make sense that they would break it up earlier than they need to. And I think that's why Jerry Reinsdorf put his foot down as the owner and said, we're bringing back Phil. And that, that was kind of the first kind of plot point of that off season that we saw. Uh, as far as 
the the complexity of it i think that yeah like you said logan it's mm-hmm. it's a it's it's being stuck with the same people for so long things inevitably fall apart and there's so many moving pieces that as much as kraus is the villain you can see little things here and there from uh different players that contribute to the dysfunction mm-hmm. whether it's pippin uh, uh, and his bit- one, yeah. bitterness about his contract having surgery leading into the the next season instead of in the off season and mj still feeling like that was a selfish move scotty yeah. still feeling like that was the right thing to do then you've got jordan berating his teammates constantly and being kind of a douche to kraus and to you know anyone that butted heads with him and then Phil, I guess, being the Zen master, there's always going to be kind of mind games between management and and the coaching staff and whatever's happening. So I think that we're going to get a look at that complexity. You know, Rodman going to Vegas in the middle of the season, Marion stuff Carmen like this. Electra, yeah. yeah, like it was a freak show in a lot of ways. And I think that that's going to be so fascinating to watch. I'm unpack over time and see that maybe Kraus isn't completely to blame for the situation as much as it's kind of easy and kind of fun to, to paint him it that way. Mm-hmm. So basically Phil Jackson's only been given one year, $6 million. Um, reg- regardless of the results of the 97, 98 season, whether he wins 82 games, 82 games and wins no, the yeah. finals or not, <laughs> he's out. So obviously this is where, the name The Last Dance comes from because, as Steve Kerr said, uh, he likes to name a lot of his, um, a lot of his, uh, I guess, seasons, gives them sort of meetings and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it, it so we sort of get a better idea as the team heads to Paris for the preseason. We get to start to look at Jordan's college career and, and see how he went at UNC. Um, I, this is the part of Jordan that I was never privy to, that I had no idea about. So you two probably know a little bit more than I do, but seeing him come to UNC and playing with guys like James Worthy, who had the audacity to claim that he was better than Jordan, even if for a little while. Two weeks. <laughs> two weeks, yeah. a few yeah. weeks. <laughs> Which makes sense, because like Jordan been... was the, the sophomore, I guess. Is that right? Mm. Logan, am I using the right term there? Jordan would have been a freshman. Sorry, yeah, he was a freshman. Worthy had been there for a while. Yeah. And, you know, even going into that championship game, Jordan's like, they they had no idea I was going to take the shot. I guess it's because James Worthy was like the star player. James Worthy was the star. James Worthy, to be fair to James Worthy, Hall of Famer in his own right. Like a great player, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But not Jordan. Um, (laughs) But not Jordan. Yeah. (laughs) But... It, it, it became clear very early that this kid was developing into something special. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I guess the, the question is, Jono, do you think Portland made the, the wrong decision <laughs> drafting Sam Bowie? <laughs> oh, we're going to do that. Sam Bowie is um, probably the... <laughs> this, is, this is the funny thing about that draft is no one really blames Houston for taking Hakeem. No one's really mm. like they made the wrong call because it made sense. And Hakeem is like a, depending on who you talk to, top 10, top 15, top 20 player of all time. Yeah. L- agree, Logan? Yeah, absolutely. One, yeah. two rings. He's yeah. a great player. Yeah, yeah. One of the best centers of all time. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. 
the buoy one is just like what could have been because <laughs> yeah like it would have it would have been portland in the in the finals at, at a very you know for a dynasty i guess but it's a it's a huge what if it's one of the biggest what ifs in in basketball and the fact that um everyone that they like they showed the footage and clips of people being interviewed talking about how you got to be you know, you got to be a big man to make a difference in this league, and he's not big enough to to have an impact, and he's too small to, you know, lead a team. And they're talking to everyone about this, and including like Mark Eaton, who's like a seven foot four, like one of the best shot blockers ever. But what, like, what do we know about him apart from that? And just because you're big doesn't mean that you're going to take your team to the promised land. And it's just so kind of quaint to see people talk about a game that we know so well now that mm-hmm. was clearly in a different era mm-hmm. you know um larry was i, I guess he was, he was a bit bigger than mj um magic was definitely bigger you know hakeem will russell like all the greats all the greats yeah. that led their team to that point essentially i guess apart from jerry west were these big dudes and I guess no one could really foresee what Jordan was going to be and the way that he would change the game. And that's before the three-point line was even really a thing. Yeah, yeah that was that was a blast from the past for me. I was like, that court doesn't have a three-point line. <laughs> the college What's going one, yeah. on? This is weird. Um, obviously, we then see him um, getting drafted by the Bulls third overall, and then we sort of see him um, start to, I guess acclimatize to Chicago in general. Um, random appearance of former US President Barack Obama. Um, Chicago resident. Chicago former resident. Chicago. Like, <laughs> great, yeah, subheader. I was like, hang on, that's that's got to be a rib of some sort. Like, I know he's from Chicago, but... I hope they use more yeah, footage that... with him. <laughs> Imagine getting the president and you use like five seconds of footage. Yeah, it it was interesting at that time because obviously they they talked about the Bulls before Jordan. They sort of say it like it, it was like pre-Jordan, post-Jordan, as as if it was like he was Jesus. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and that that sort of that sort of um, mentality will come in a little bit later. But the Bulls, Logan, before Jordan, uh, they sucked ass. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. They they played at the Chicago Arena and they were not. Um, you know, getting much um, luck out of out of anything, and it was you never really see, even in today's game, a team being energized and upgraded by one player. Do you? It's interesting too because the Bulls were so terrible before MJ. Like it's like in a way that the only comparison I can even think of is something like. God, maybe Tom Brady and the Patriots, right? Like they were so bad. Like they were like they were like a joke bad. Like even the Patriots had a few simple appearances. Like the Bulls were nothing. And mm-hmm. then MJ like overnight flipped the switch, right? Like maybe you could argue LeBron and the Cavs had a similar effect. Um But the way that he just transformed the Bulls in Chicago and in the Midwest as like a presence, as like a thing that actually mattered was such a night and day stark difference, right? Like I think, and it was really interesting to watching the like big men, um, like kind of comments like Jono mentioned beforehand, where 
I think it's something like 18 of the previous like 20 MVPs in the league were all centers before Michael Jordan, and like none have been a center since centers. And like the basically that kind of night and day shift. Like he radically altered how that game is played in a way, and like kind of almost serves as a bridge between that center heavy era to the Steph Curry. We're gonna just gonna shoot threes all day long era. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that similar effect is felt in Chicago and in the Heartland, where it is that thing of like people were Bulls fans or people were Bears fans. People were Cubs fans if you were on one side, White Sox fans on the other side, and then nobody really cared about the Bulls. I mean, they had like two-thirds of the stadium was empty, like the documentary talks about, um, and they just were such a non-entity. Like, nobody cared about basketball in Chicago um, on the pro level. Was, and then That was such a great quote from an interview with Jordan where he's saying he wanted to turn Chicago into a team like LA, like Boston, like Philadelphia. And yeah. that's, like, you watch that now and you're like, wow, like, he, he really did it, like... The Bulls, mm. as much as they've sucked, they still sell out every game and they have since the Jordan era because of the way that he transformed the sport and the culture of that city. And like Philly's probably the one out of there that kind of feels out of place now because they haven't yeah. had success since the 80s, I guess. And it just shows you how much one person can affect that can change affect that when change. they're yeah. as big as a guy like Jordan. Like Cleveland is probably going to experience something similar where they're going to, you know, suck for a long time, but fans are still diehards because of the way that LeBron changed that city after a pretty big drought between their success in the 80s. Mm. It's interesting and- too because uh for the bulls like i think there's like they're still in the top either five or four most successful nba franchise in terms of titles and they all came to this one essentially eight (laughs) Eight year period but yeah yeah, it's all from mj but it's still ahead of like so many other teams in the league apart from like the celtics and the lakers essentially Mm -hmm. maybe the spurs and so it's like it's all from one individual like that's the impact of jordan and pippen and that squad in these eight years Mm, exactly like Damn, I wish the Phoenix Suns had something like that. <laughs> anyway, um, we we then sort of flash back and forth between um, Jordan in his rookie year, just going ballistic and um, you know really sort of showing that he could be this force in the NBA. To uh, we we could say current day Chicago, we will say ninety seven Bulls, uh, where they're in Paris, they're getting mobbed. They, they they sort of say like it's like the Beatles you know came back and and um, we're we're running around Paris. You don't see that sort of stuff happening even in current day NBA. It's a lot of like you know prospects and and younger players getting games at that point in time. So seeing a guy like Michael Jordan in a, in a preseason game still feels weird to me. Um, but obviously near the end. Um, we see him in, in the games and, and yeah. we see him on the bench. And it's really Jono, that first sort of sign of his winning mentality where he has, and I'm not kidding, the biggest scowl on his face mm. I have ever seen. <laughs> um, he, he, and it'll, it'll come up, you know, a, a lot more, and especially in the second episode as well, but he wanted to win at all costs. Mm. Yeah. There's a few really funny parts of that sequence in France where, first of all, they're like walking around and the reporters and paparazzi are just like berating them and in a good way. And one of the dudes is like, what do you think of the Eiffel Tower? <laughs> like, 
that's the kind of hard hitting <laughs> question that uh, you can come to expect. The um the other part was yes, yeah, it's, Scott- it's also that as well as um people going up in like really awkward moments being like, can you sign this? Yeah. And, can you and sign he, this for me? And it's like, the, the what look are you doing? Get face. out of here. Like, <laughs> he has this look on his face like, I don't want to say no. I'm going to wait until my like minder here just tells the guy to go away. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's the moment after the game where Scott Burrell's kind of like half jokingly saying like, oh, I just want a championship like to, to Ron Harper. And Scott's a rookie at this point. And MJ just looks at him oh. like, are you kidding me? Like, you can't claim like I don't, and then he kind of like cracks a smile as as time goes on, and and Scott says like I'll get a high five from your from your kid or whatever, but um, that that's that's like a nice little snapshot of of MJ's like competitiveness and you know basically saying like you just wait until the season starts and and you know that's mm. when things that's th- when things are gonna turn up. Well, we uh, we do get to see the season start at the ring ceremony, and we get <laughs> the first sign of the song "Serious" mm-hmm. by the Alan Parsons Project, um, and chills. yeah, just chills for someone like me who never really got to experience it. Um, you know, when it was happening, you hear all about it. You talked about the article, Jono. We'll, we'll probably pop that up on on social media, but. Um, this was something else, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, from Jerry Krause getting booed to um, the the ceremony itself, the Bulls always had the, uh, like that article I mentioned before, like they had the presentation and the hype of um, the personalities, like they celebrated their personalities as, as well as anyone and, and Rodman getting that, cheer that he says was as loud as as mj's or if not louder and then from everyone in that article's memory of it you could never hear them say michael jordan's name because the crowd was too loud to like they just drowned it out completely so yeah that that introduction and and mj kind of reminding fans like when i when i got here i said i wasn't going to leave till we were champs and now we're going to go and win another one for you like it's a it's a good kind of first bookend for the um, documentary to start with, I think. Yeah, mm. I, I think it's such a like, it's a moment you have to have in the documentary. Like that, in, those introductions are so iconic, are such a like ingrained part. I feel like of the Bulls' kind of mythology and Jordan's mythology, and it's a instant chills. Um, like mm-hmm. it's a great end to that episode. But B, I think it's a moment of kind of them both at kind of the peak of their powers and also I feel like both us as the viewers and even them as the players in the moment understand that this is also the end of it. Like they are at kind of noon, the kind of end of this run, noon, the end of the tunnel. Um, they can kind of see the light, whether it's Phil leaving or Scotty leaving the next year or even obviously MJ would leave too ultimately. Um, they can kind of know that they're in the end of this run and like Phil's whole method, whole message um, for the last dance was enjoy this, right? Like savor every moment because this is the end. This is the last mm-hmm. dance. And so I think there's a bit of that as well in terms of Scotty getting so emotional that he got and mm-hmm. MJ's speech to the fans reminding the back where it all began to how it's kind of coming to a close now. Like it also felt more reflective than I would imagine a lot of previous ring ceremonies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that yeah, P- exactly. Pippin's address there with, you know, you mentioned him getting emotional, but also what he said was so strange. Like, 
I think social media would pick that to pieces nowadays, but it was almost it was almost <laughs> yeah. like he was saying like I don't know if I'm going to be here in six months time. Like yeah, with everything that had been going on, um, yeah. His Again, whole... one of the talking one of the talking heads he had was like I for half a second I thought it was a retirement speech kind of thing. Yeah. It was just yeah. bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Well, it's it's an interesting point because obviously we now move on to episode two where. The start of this episode sort of talks about Scotty Pippen being, mm-hmm. you know, I think Michael Wilbon said it as well. Like he was Robin to MJ's Batman, mm. and that was a, a perfect analogy because they were sort of saying he's second in points, like a whole bunch of these stats, um, but he was sixth highest paid on the Bulls, and I think 122nd, 122nd, yeah, the, in the NBA. Um, like you'd have to feel undervalued if you were Scotty Pippen. Like if you were if you were in Scotty Pippen's shoes, Logan, mm-hmm. and and that mm-hmm. was happening to you, you would feel undervalued, wouldn't you? There, I mean, there are a hundred and twenty-one players better than Scotty Pippen in the history of the league. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I'm not convinced there are twenty better guys in the history of the league than Scotty Pippen. Certainly, it's close, mm-hmm. maybe not twenty-five or thirty. Like it's Scotty Pippen is. I mean, he was almost the fifty greatest players of all time on the NBA's fiftieth anniversary list. Um, so for him in the moment in 1987 to be 122nd among a lot of lesser quality players, um, couldn't have felt good, let alone be not even essentially in the starting lineup of paid players on his own team. Um, yeah, it's, I can imagine his frustrations. I can imagine him being, um, increasingly annoyed and angry at that. Um, and I think one of the strongest undercurrents of this episode is the grown tension of him and Jerry Krause and, and MJ as well. Cause we kind of get the origins of MJ's feud as well with Jerry, but Scotty's was much more, I feel like visceral um, mm. and, and much more explosive and outspoken, like his kind of rants and rampaging on the bus. Um, I think he took it more personally than MJ did. Yeah. Mm. It's interesting because like, as much as people say it's like Batman and Robin, I feel like it's it's way more closer to like Batman and Superman in the Justice League if there is a leader, I don't know, between those two or like Tony Stark and Captain, Captain America. America because Pippin was like, I don't know, I just think Robin's kind of lame and Pippin's was amazing, you know? It's the thing, like <laughs> it almost more like Batman and Nightwing, right? Like yeah. Pippin is not, he's not Robin. Like Pippin is yeah. this guy who like, if he was on any other team, he would have been the star unquestionably. Like he was a great yeah. talent. Like, he was such a good player, and yeah, yeah. I think I would, I would call like Kyrie Irving would be like Robin to LeBron. Like that's yeah, more right. Of Whereas what you would Scottie Pippen with. unquestionably, yeah, was not that guy. And I think yeah, it's this. It, I would love to like actually just like off the record get to talk to Scottie Pippen, and maybe we'll get it in this documentary of that thing of like, I'm sure his conflicted feelings about his legacy where he is always thought of as, like, Michael Jordan's number two. Um, and, like, mm. I, I would love to know if if he would have rather have had more time, like, in his prime on his own so that he could yeah. have gotten to kind of show what he could have done by himself, right? And, like, the trade-off would have been, obviously, that he would have won fewer rings, presumably, that he wouldn't have been a part of, like, this, these kind of dynastic teams. Um, and maybe he's okay with it. Maybe he's fine, ultimately, being... Jordan's number two guy and that being a spot in history right and like to be fair Michael was incredibly um complimentary of Scotty Pippen in this documentary like he said a ton of great things about Scotty and how 
he would not be Michael Jordan without Scottie Pippen. How there is anytime somebody mentions his name, they should also mention Scottie Pippen. Mm. Um, so maybe he's okay with it. I don't know. I think so because <laughs> being second to Jordan is fine. Like <laughs> yeah. the, the best player. Yeah, all I'd time. be happy with it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and like like you say, like Jordan isn't someone that just doles out compliments, but he's always been yeah. super praiseworthy of. Scotty and we got to see Scotty for two or one and a half seasons as the guy and he was fantastic like he led the Bulls in everything that year like literally everything and he couldn't get them to the finals but he got really close and I think there's a a good argument to to be made that uh, it would have been a finals team without MJ I don't know if they would have been able to you know beat the likes of Hakeem and you know whatever else was happening in the west like Drexler's Blazers, Barkley on, on the Suns and whatnot. But yeah, Pippen signing that contract for so long, like a, what was it seven or eight years? Like seven year deal, yeah. Yeah, to think now, like that's not even legal to sign a, a deal for that <laughs> long. Um, because of, you know, basically because of this, like you get guys that sign for too long and either they're getting way overpaid or they're getting super underpaid like he is. And it's hard because like part of me is like, bad luck, man. Like you signed that contract. Why are you so bitter? Like you, no one forced you to sign this. Jerry Reinsdorf said, don't sign this contract. And guess what? You signed it. <laughs> you signed it. And I know that like the, the empathy comes through where they do a great job of putting that in context. Like why did he do this? Because he came from this background where he had disabled father, a disabled sibling, what, nine other siblings? Was he one of 10? He's one of 12. 12. One of 12. So yeah, I guess he wants to get enough cash to like support his family. And it's still a hell of a lot of money. Like he made millions and millions of dollars. So it's hard to feel sorry for a guy. It's only that disease of more that they talk about in basketball where you're comparing yourself to other people and you go, hang on. I'm the 122nd best player in the league. I got more money than I know what to do with, but I should be earning more than, you know, Hot Rod Williams or, you know, Kevin Garnett, who's a who's like a rookie or whatever it is. So I think that um, Scotty, like, he was his own worst enemy in a lot of ways and just taking it out on the, on the team was probably his way of coping with having to deal with that. And he made a ton of money after the Bulls a ton of money so i don't feel sorry for him but it's just funny how like unapologetic he is he doesn't regret anything that he's done doesn't lie at all either yeah he doesn't admit any fault or anything you know i didn't want to f up my summer like (laughs) it was just like so um strange to see with all this hindsight he's sticking to his guns Yeah. yeah Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They they sort of talk about that, obviously, when he, he went for his surgery as the season started and sort of mm-hmm. put the team at a disadvantage, but they were sort of discussing whether he did that to uh, to spite management. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is sort of where you, you start to see Jordan get his sore shoulders from, from putting the team on his back, at least in this season, uh, certainly. Losing four but in you a row see the, like, Yeah, you see, you see the... Um, you see him at training, absolutely blasting Ron Harper and um, and Tony Kukoc, and I'm sort of thinking, like Logan, is this his heel turn? Like, is this him becoming <laughs> like the 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 anti Jordan? Like, everyone thinks he's this you know squeaky clean nice guy, but this sort of scene in particular, and I'm sure we'll see more of it in the episodes to come. But this guy's got a real nasty side to him. 
I would... So, I would say, yeah, this would be a seal turn if it wasn't for the fact that, like, this is Michael... Like, this is Michael Jordan, right? Like, it's that thing of, like... This was Michael Jordan in, like, his rookie in his second year in the league, right? Like, Michael Jordan would have been, like, screaming and shouting at guys, right? Like, Michael Jordan is famous or infamous, depending on how you want to spin it, uh, for his competitiveness and his kind of drive to win, right? Like, this this episode of documentary even has him being, like, his kind of life ethos almost is you give everything you have and you play to win and you do everything at the highest possible level and a lot mm-hmm. of his beef with Jerry Krause the fact that he wasn't feeling that from Jerry right like to think you always give 120% you always give everything you have you do it the best possible level you have and I think he demands that of everyone around him right and I think part of why he respects Scottie Pippen is that Scottie Pippen does that and I think part of why he has a lot of issues with a lot of his teammates throughout his time in the league is that they're like, it's practice, right? I mean, to quote Alan Iverson, practice? I mean, like, what are we doing here? Like, it's, <laughs> it's not a big deal. Yeah. Like, I think Michael is someone who takes every single game, whether it's a pickup game on the street or whether it's a practice game or whether it's game seven NBA finals, the same kind of level of seriousness. Like, he doesn't have an off switch. Like, he's just always going to try to win and be the best he possibly can um and like jordan is kind of i think very well known for that temper and kind of yelling at people and john at people um yeah it's it's an interesting point as well because you sort of just said it there He, he doesn't have an off switch which was sort of um a sentiment echoed by his unc coaches um but we also got a bit more of a a a an in-depth look at his family in general. Um, And there was an interesting quote by his father who said, if you really want to motivate Michael Jordan, tell him he can't do something. And I think that that has just Mm. rung true throughout his entire career and probably even his life as well. But it, it was an interesting way of looking at things because we always just thought of Michael Jordan on his own and, you know, he, he had his family, but obviously he had a couple of brothers as well. And it's interesting to see how, he felt he was, I guess, unloved or unnoticed, whereas his his older brother, I think Larry, was mm-hmm. sort of like the, the golden child of the family. So obviously he's he's playing and, and even living his life, Jono, with just a chip on his shoulder. Um, it, it's such an interesting dynamic to, to yeah. see come out in the, in the documentary. Yeah, it is. And it was a theme throughout his entire career. Like he... Yeah invented slights that weren't there (laughs) like in high school he was let me get this right he was a junior trying out for the sophomore team he didn't make it and he went on to tell everybody that he got cut from the high school team which you know for for australian listeners that's like being a 16 year old trying to get onto a team with like 18 year olds 17 year olds and being told like not this year try again next year and he took that so personally that it became part of his like like the myth of Jordan, yeah, like the, the, the legend of Jordan. Um, and all through his career, it was like, oh, this this uh, local newspaper said something like, Clyde Drexler is better than me, so I'm going to score 50 tonight. Mm-hmm. Or um, people say that I, all I can do is score, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to become the best defensive player in the league and win defensive player of the year. Like he, he would just constantly use this to motivate himself. Um, and I think it kind of ties into what Logan was saying, and I have a lot to say about that too. So I want to jump back a little bit to add to it in that, um, yeah, like Jordan 
always expected so much from his teammates. That's why he... Also, the fact, I guess it was his way of motivating them, was he was a bit of a douche to them. And mm-hmm. it, it wasn't a heel turn in 98. It was something that he'd always been doing since they'd <laughs> yeah. been successful. Yeah. If you read um, The Jordan Rules, which was yeah, the first kind of... Like, yeah, it was um, the first kind of tell-all book about the team and about Michael. And Sam Smith was uh, the Chicago Tribune journalist who wrote that, and he's interviewed in this documentary a few times. But it revealed the way that he talked to uh, especially the bigs on his team like Bill Cartwright and Will Perdue and just he would throw them passes that he knew they wouldn't be able to catch just so he could um, berate them and tell them that they're no good and like you only grabbed two rebounds that's two more than a dead man and stuff like that and I think (laughs) that something that I was thinking about when I was watching this documentary was the way he was talking to his teammates it's hard not to think about Kobe and when Kobe died earlier this year, there was so much about the Mamba mentality. And like Kobe is someone that he wasn't really well liked by a lot of his teammates because he emulated Jordan in that way. And he was harsh to, especially in these, those later years when he was playing with like Nick Young and people like that. And he would be like berating them at practice and, and like the way he treated Dwight Howard and that kind of thing. And it was too much for some players, but that was the way that he was going to do it. And that was MJ's way of testing people to make sure that they had what it takes to, you know, go into the finals, go into the the battle zone of of the NBA finals. And that flashes back. They did such an amazing job of using um, the historical stories and footage to contextualize the modern day situations. Mm -hmm. So when he's Mm -hmm. talking about Scotty and the fact that Scotty sat out the start of that 97, 98 season, He's doing it with a bitterness of saying like, I was doing everything I could to come back and play hurt in 85 when I had, you know, when he's talking about the headache and the the nine pills out of 10. Oh my God, what a great (laughs) line. That was so good. And seeing like, not only that as the kind of impetus for him to have this disdain towards Jerry Krause, but just painting the picture of him being a do anything, do whatever it takes win at all costs that tanking wasn't a word in his vocabulary i don't know about now that he's like over what he's doing in charlotte maybe it, maybe he's learnt. <laughs> maybe maybe he relates to jerry Krause now that he's you know in that position but i think that you can you can look at that and really get a sense for how incredible it was that you know that minute restriction i had no idea that it was so such an intense situation uh it, going into that, you know, that playoff run in 85 or 86, mm. yeah. It's it's one 86. for me, too, where I think Jordan is someone who demands absolute excellence out of himself, and because he demands that out of himself, he expects that out of everyone else, too. And so when they fail to reach it, he's simply holding them to the same bar he holds himself, but everybody else isn't Michael Jordan, and I think mm. he kind of half expects him to to kind of keep up with his pace and keep up with his level and be able to do what he does and I think some of the frustration also comes from there where it's like well I played with a broken foot I pushed that I did whatever I could like I I scored 63 in a playoff game making Celtics I did all these amazing Herculean things and like I always give the best I could and I think for him Michael Jordan is someone who 
instantly could tell if somebody wasn't giving it their absolute best. And I think mm-hmm. that's what set him off more than anything else. Mm, exactly. Yeah. Um, and I'll leave it with the last point that I've got here in my notes. Obviously, we we touched on the injury that he had to his foot um, and how they were sort of saying it was like a 90, you know, a 10% chance that he would never play again, which now, like, you would... It's unfathomable to think that anyone would even try to play with, with something like that, but... He discusses that he went back to UNC, not mm-hmm. only to rehab, but then he started picking up, you know, two on twos, three on threes, eventually to a, a full five, uh, five on five game. Logan, mm. if this ever happened in today's NBA, yeah, the world would implode, wouldn't it? Like, imagine if yeah. Zion Williamson, who obviously <laughs> had issues with his knee, went yeah. back to to high school or to college and and was rehabbing and, and doing that sort of stuff, this would blow up in the news, wouldn't it? It, it would unquestionably too, right? And like, it's funny too, because Michael had a special clause in basically every contract he signed with the Bulls from that season onwards too, that was basically a for the love of the game clause, where he could just play basketball whenever he wanted, wherever he wanted, um, for the love of the game, right? Like, this is the thing of like, Michael Jordan just loved basketball, right? Like, this is just what You'd he loves. You never see that anywhere else in the NBA. Yeah, like and now. I that think I think happen. it's that thing of like he. Part of it's the fact that he's Michael Jordan, so he can kind of get whatever he wants in his contract. And part of the fact that like, I do think that part of what makes Michael just a different person than Zion Williamson or almost every other player is that he his love is basketball, right? Like before everything else, like he just loves this game. He lives and breathes it. And like he bleeds the sport. And I think Michael Jordan is just someone who always wants to play basketball. Like he, like he's, it's the, it's a almost become like a joke and a meme now where he's like 50 years old. And is like, I can still beat my entire Charlotte's Bobcat team. And a, it's probably <laughs> true for the Bobcats, but B it's that thing. Like he just loves the game. Like he just loves the sport. And I think, yeah, like, I think he started playing one-on-ones and two-on-twos and three-on-threes because he just needed to play the sport. Like, he just needed to play basketball. He needed to be on the court. He needed to have that ball in his hand. And I think for Zion Williamson, it's like, maybe he would. Maybe Zion really is somebody who, like, loves the game that much. But, like, I'd like to think Zion Williamson has a life. I'd like to think that he has friends and family that he spends time with. And <laughs> Michael Jordan is someone who just, like, he he's just consumed by this. Like, there's it's a funny clip in the documentary where like they talk about like the cocaine bulls, but like <laughs> the reason, the reason that wasn't for Michael is because he had to go hit the court the next day at like 5am and be there all day long. Right. And yeah. get out of a two and a half hour training session and then immediately do more training with the best player on the team kind of thing. Right. Like this is just what he did. And I think my, some people might call Michael obsessive um, and kind of, driven to perfection um but michael would say i don't know i got six rings um and he'd probably say it was worth it like i don't think he'd really question what he gave up for what he gained Mm, exactly well we got uh, the best result out of it, which was, uh, of course, Space Jam. That has yes. been the episode for us yes. today. Um, 
of course, we will be back for the next episodes three and four, um, hopefully sooner rather than later. Um, I can't wait for those ones. But um, Logan, it has been absolutely wonderful mm. having you on the show. Yes. Um, where can people follow you? Uh, you can find me at Lefty Logi or Lefty Logi. It doesn't. It's semantical at this point. Um, <laughs> on the internet, uh, and also at that nerdy site where I'm senior editor. Uh, just extraordinaire. Wear lots of hats. Um, yeah, check me out there. Check me out on the internet. Um, we have all kinds of podcasts, reviews, features, previews, anime things. If you're into that, I'm not, but people are. So shout out. Um, and it's all good. Um, we're getting ready to launch soon-ish at some point in time in the nebulous future. Um, a video game news podcast as well, hosted by me. So that'll be very exciting. Um, and then, yes, that's all the goodness. I do want to give a shout out to because we didn't get to it, and I, I just have to make mm-hmm. mention to it because it is my single favorite thing that has ever been said about Michael Jordan. Um, and it is after that 1986 playoff series with the Boston Celtics, where after Michael scores an NBA record 63 points in that playoff game, and then proceeds to still lose to Larry Bird and the Celtics, Larry Bird is interviewed afterwards, and as he recounts in this documentary simply says that was not michael jordan that was god disguised as michael jordan um and i absolutely love that quote and just had to give it a shout out couldn't think of a better way to finish off uh if you (laughs) have any questions queries concerns or complaints you can always do so with the hashtag hoop dreams on twitter you can follow me on twitter at it's tilby and jono where can they follow you you can find me at jono himself And that is all for today's episode. But from me, Matt Tilby, John O'Peck and Logan Wilkinson, stay inside, stay safe and keep watching this documentary because it's really goddamn good. I'm so hooked. (laughs) Thanks, everybody. Talk soon. Keep dreaming.